I'm going to ask you, today's title of today's message is The Beauty of Christ. And it's the beauty of Christ in forgiveness. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at the beauty of Christ in forgiveness. You know, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the current day and age that we find ourselves in, right? It was a great day of, uh, of just outright moral breakdown, outright sin and rebellion. And there is a, there's a probability that with the overwhelming news that we hear repeatedly, 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 and we're seeing institutions like the family and government beginning to erode, there is always that possibility that as believers we get very, very discouraged, where discouragement takes over our hearts, and even worse, fear comes into the domain, and we become afraid. We're afraid of the day. We're afraid of what we see on the news. You know, I stopped watching the news about three years ago. I just had it because, you know, if you put on the local news in a half hour, you'll get more rapes, murders, killings, thefts, whatever else, beside all the other political nonsense that continues to go on. And it's just, you know what, it was deflating and it was discouraging to the soul. Now, there is an antidote to this. And I think that a lot of times we as Christians don't recognize this. And that is the beauty of Christ, the glory of our great salvation, the worship and the wonder of our spectacular King. And this is who we are. We're people, if we are Christians, if we are born again, we're people of Christ. We've been born again. We've been born again, as, as Peter says, into a living hope. It's a living hope, not a dead hope. We don't have to wait for the day we die and go to heaven for things to get better. We enjoy fellowship with the Father now. We enjoy fellowship with the Holy Spirit now. We enjoy Christ now. We have a foretaste of what glory is going to be. That's why I love that song, Blessed Assurance. By the way, I get a little bit morbid, but I tell Barbara all the time, there's, there's certain funeral songs I want. So whenever the Lord calls me up yonder, uh, I want certain songs to be played, and one of them is Blessed Assurance. Fanny Crosby wrote those words. And you think about the first stanza of, of Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of His Spirit and washed in His blood. And then she goes on to say, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Fanny Crosby was blind, born blind. And she talks about the air of salvation, and she talks scenes of rapture descending on her sight. Listen, if we are in Christ, we are saved now. Salvation is now. God has equipped us now to be the agents to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I thought about it, and I was saying, we need to hear more of the beauty of Christ. And so we will be looking over the next few weeks at the beauty of Christ. Particularly, we'll be looking at the beauty of Christ in forgiveness. The beauty of Christ in confession of sin. The beauty of Christ in Christian character. The beauty of Christ in holiness and separation. 
The beauty of Christ in Christian fellowship. The beauty of Christ in Christian obedience. The beauty of Christ in Christian love. The beauty of Christ in Christian victory. The beauty of Christ in eternal life. We need to rejoice our hearts. We need to renew our mind. We need to get extracted from the horrors of this world as they are portrayed to us and immerse ourselves in the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. So I thought, what better book as the Lord led me to 1 John, where we will see all of the various different components of the beauty of Christ. Now just a little bit on the background of the epistle of 1 John. It was written by John the Beloved, John the Apostle, while he was in Ephesus. And he was writing it to a church that was under persecution both externally from the Roman government, but internally. Gnosticism just was starting to mature. And Gnosticism was the teaching that God could never become man. That God could never be. Matter of fact, Gnosticism taught that all matter, all substance, was evil. That God was spirit. Therefore, Christ could have never been the Son of God. He could have never been God incarnate. Therefore, Christ could have never have died. Therefore, Christ could have never rose again from the grave. And that to really know God, you need to have this mystical, transcendent, spiritual experience. And this infiltrated the church part and parcel was that you also had the judaizers that were following the apostles all along and saying well the grace of jesus christ isn't sufficient enough that you need the gospel but you need the law and you need to be circumcised and you need to follow the law boy on tuesday nights we're studying the book of romans and we're in probably on the fifth week of romans chapter eight But if anybody's been attending that, we know one thing, Romans 8, 3, for what the law could not do, God did. And that is the whole premise of chapter 8. What the law could not do, God did. But there were those that were entering into the church and they were weighing down the weak with false doctrines and false heresies saying, well, salvation in Christ by faith is not enough. You need to do this, that, and the other thing. And so you had these internal issues. You had Gnosticism on the rise. You had Judaizers on the rise. You had various cults on the rise that were emerging and attacking the church. You also had the external persecution of the Roman government. First officially unleashed about uh, 60 AD under Nero. But now being passed through where more and more of the Uh, of the Roman governments were now persecuting Christians. By the way, if you ever read church history, it's a very interesting thing. The, the, The persecution of the Christian church in Rome, it's really interesting how it evolved. First, it evolved like, well, it's, it, you know, leave them alone. It's, it's just kind of like a Jewish cult. Just, just leave them alone. Then what happened is the culture began to turn on them, and they were like, well, you know, they're, they're really radical, but, you know, we're not going to hire them. And, and so they marginalized them in society, right? 
they were thought to be, well, these, these are people. Matter of fact, it was rumored they were cannibals because as they came together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, right, they would say, well, they eat the body of Christ and they drink the flesh. They were, they were told to the Romans that these people are cannibals. Well, Nero seized on that and gave the people a, a reason of fear. When Nero burned Rome to rebuild Rome in his image, who did he blame? He blamed the Christians and, out, and just went after him with a vicious, vicious persecution. So John is writing this epistle to a church that is being persecuted, to a church that he's asking them to hold on to the very substance of faith. It's much like we need to do as Christians today. We need to hold on to the key tenets of the faith. We need to pass them to our children that our children would know and our grandchildren would know. Because even in the church of Jesus Christ today, there are those out there that are integrating external elements into the church, cultural elements into the church to say that this is consistent with the teachings of Scripture and it's not. And by the way, any time you want a clue, anybody who tells you Christ plus something else, that should be the flag that goes up to you. It's not Christ plus anything. It's Christ alone. Children of the Reformation, we believe in salvation by Christ alone, through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. And our only authority is Scripture alone. And all the glory goes to God alone. That is the true and living Gospel. So as we look at our text, we're going to be looking today particularly at verses 4-7. through So turn with me to 1 John chapter 1, verses 4-7. through And in order to get the context, I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 1. Verse 1, John writes this, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have beheld with our hands, and handled concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen, what we have uh, heard, we proclaim to you also that you also may have fellowship with us. And our deed, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We begin immediately as we embark upon this epistle. Immediately we launch into the beauty of Christ from the very opening words. From the beginning, John calls Him the word of life, the logos, the very word of life. You'll see this consistent in the epistle of John, and you see this consistent in the gospel of John. But notice what John says about it. What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld in our hands. John beheld Christ. John walked with Christ. John was with Christ in his triumphs, and John was with Christ in his agonies, in his suffering. It's recorded that John was one of the few apostles that was at the foot of the cross. 
And immediately he goes on. He says the life was manifested. It was produced. We have seen. We have seen. And we bear witness to you. And proclaim to you eternal life. I often wonder if we fully understand what eternal life is. I know the obvious in English may seem to appear that that means you're going to live forever. But the spiritual application of eternal life is life forever with God. With God. It's not merely living. If it was to live forever, I'm not sure I'd want it. But to be in the presence of God, to go back to the garden, to walk with Him in the cool of the evening, to sit at His feet and listen, to be loved by Him, and coming into the presence of Him. This is eternal life. This is the inheritance of every believer. So as we embark down the path of the beauty of Christ, immediately John comes belting out, we proclaim to you this eternal life. And that's the mission of the church, is it not? We are to proclaim eternal life. We are not to get bogged down in political arguments. We're not to get bogged down in a whole host of other different things. We are to proclaim the gospel. And the gospel is this, that Christ came, that Christ was crucified, that he was born of a virgin, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third life, that if we entrust ourselves to him, we have eternal life, life with God. And we don't have to wait until we get to heaven we have life with God now and God has equipped every believer through the person of the Holy Spirit to have access into the throne room of God where we can come as the writer of Hebrews says with boldness and we can make our requests known to him we can find grace and mercy and help in time of need at that time as we come before God in the beauty and the glory and the splendor of I lament, I really do, I lament over how many Christians don't know that. How many Christians don't spend time with the Lord. How many Christians don't desire it, that that unconsciously or maybe consciously get caught up in the world, get caught up in its system. It's so easy to do. Listen, I've fallen prey to that. But we have to come to that realization that we have new life in Christ. And he has opened up the throne room for average people like us. I mean, if anybody doesn't deserve to go into the throne room, I could say it's me. I agree with Paul that Christ Jesus came to die for sinners among which I am chief of all. But he has. It is done. And so as we begin to look at the beauty of Christ, look at verse 3. He said, what we have seen, what we have heard, we proclaim to you. And notice what he says here. That you also may have fellowship with us. That oneness in the body. And indeed, indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, 
Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4. Now he tells you why. What an opening. What an opening. Verse 4. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. John is saying, why am I telling you this? So that my joy and your joy might be complete. Now, I think a lot of times the reason why a lot of Christians don't have joy is I don't think that Christians fully rest in who God is. And what has God done in the attributes of God? That God is not a God that can manipulate. That God is not a God that can lie. That God is not a God that is unjust. That what God has said has come to pass. What God said He's going to do, He is going to do. That indeed God is King of all. That indeed God is the Sovereign. That indeed everything we see working is working according to the counsel of His will. And so when we have that as our basis and our foundation, it secures our joy. Now, I'm not talking about happiness. There are a lot of reasons for happiness. You could get a check that you weren't expecting in the mail, and that could make you very happy. Oh, look, I got, you know, 500 bucks in the mail. I wasn't planning on getting that. Hallelujah. Joy is that which sustains. Joy is that which keeps you going forward. Joy is that peace you have underlying, that knowing that if anything were to befall me, if I were to get sick, if I were to get ill, if I were going to die, that the Lord is always by my side. I loved in that song, Yet Not I But Christ, in the second stanza says, The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For I know my Savior is ever by my side. And that's the truth. That's the joy that we have. So as we read these words, you can see that the apostle is encouraging them. Look at Christ. Look at the beauty. Look at the glory. Look at what you have in Christ. John 15, 11, Jesus said these words, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Romans, Paul tells the church at Romans, for the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Steadfast contentment in Christ. When you have joy with God, you have that contentment in Christ. Well, how can I have contentment in Christ? Well, you have contentment in Christ in knowing Christ, in knowing the Father, in fellowship with the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And John continues to point us to the source behind all of this, which is Jesus Christ, which is the beauty, the beauty found only in Him. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this of Christian joy, and I love this, joy is the response and the reaction 
of the soul to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Joy is the response and the reaction of the soul to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The more we know Christ, the greater our joy will be. The more that we have come to that experiential knowledge of Christ, the greater our joy will be. So the question posed is, Christian, in what or in whom is your joy based? And I'm going to share something with you. If it is not in Christ, if it is in things, things are fleeting. Sometimes you have more than other times. If it is in status, what is my profession? What is my vocation? What is it I do? That is fleeting as well. Is it in your education? If it is in anything other than Christ, then that consistency of joy you will find being fleeting. But if it is in Christ, fully entrusted, apprehended by faith, then your joy will be full and overflowing. Look at verse 5. John continues, And this is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness. John establishes that God is pure, holy, and right. In Him, there is no darkness. Oh, you know what that means? That doesn't just mean that, you know, there's no sin in God. But because there is no sin in God, God can never be manipulative. God can't bait you. God can't mislead you. God is pure if He says it, it's true. God is inerrant. He can't make mistakes. God is sovereign. What He says will happen. God is pure. God is truth. God. In God there is no defilement, no impurity. And we see always throughout Scripture, God is spoken of light. John 1.4 In Him was life, speaking of Christ. And the life was the light of men. Christ also said of Himself in John 8.12 Again, therefore, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows Me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. In Christ is purity. Light, and that light is the divine illumination. Oh, how great is it to come to Christ when Christ illuminates your mind, opens your mind to the Scripture, open your mind to the truth of God. The things that you may have read time and time again, when the Spirit of God illuminates your mind and all of a sudden the Scriptures come alive. Has anybody had that experience other than me? I've 
That's the greatest thing. There's so many times I've been reading the Bible for so many years and to this very day I could come across a passage of Scripture that I know forward and backwards and then one day the Spirit of God will illuminate my mind and I go, oh my goodness, I never saw that before. Oh, the glory is... I mean, this has to be Tuesday night has to be the 12th, 13th time I have taught through the book of Romans verse by verse. Every single time it gets better and better and better. Every single time the Spirit of God reveals greater application, greater insight. That divine light, that illumination, that purity that we find in Christ. And because of this, we can have forgiveness of sins with certainty. Knowing that Christ, knowing that the Father will never mislead us, never manipulate us. And that divine light, that divine illumination in the believer reveals Christ. Reveals Christ. And we get to know Him. And we get to rejoice in Him. And we get to fellowship with Him. Look at verse 6. John continues. And this is an important. 6 and 7 is where we're really going to dwell now. If we say we have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie. And do not practice the truth. John is addressing an issue that still plagues the church to this very day. Still plagues the church to this very day. The difference between what we say and what we do. It is very easy for a person to say, I am a Christian. Many people will make that profession. I am a Christian. I am a Christian. Let me share something. You're not a Christian because mommy and daddy were a Christian. You were not a Christian because... Grandma and grandpa were a Christian. You are not born into Christianity by birth. You are not born into Christianity. You're born into religion. You may be born as a Protestant or a Catholic or a Jew. You may be born that way. But no one is born a Christian. To become a Christian, you need to come to Christ in repentance. It is a solitary act. It is an act that must be done. And you need to come to Christ and repent of your sins and cry out to God for mercy. So the difference between what we say and what we do becomes very evident. What does he say? If we say we have fellowship with Him, meaning Christ, yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now there's two key words that I want to call out to you in this verse. The first one is the word fellowship, which is the Greek word koinonia. And properly what it means is that which is shared in common. That which is shared in common. And that becomes the basis of the fellowship. So it's what you share in common that becomes the basis of the fellowship. Fellowship is having those things in common. When a person lives in perpetual sin. In perpetual sin. In rebellion to Christ. Well, no one can say that they have fellowship with Christ. It's inconsistent. They don't have anything in common. Remember, God is light. He's pure. He's undefiled. 
Christ is light, he's pure, he's undefiled. The, the Holy Spirit is light, he's pure, he's undefiled. So when we're perpetually in sin, and listen to my words now, when we're perpetually in sin, there isn't that fellowship with the Spirit. There isn't that fellowship with Christ. Right? And so, when a person lives in perpetual sin, no one can say they have fellowship with Christ because that's not consistent. If you're walking in holiness and righteousness and obedience, yes, but sin, no. Now, we're not talking about sinless perfection. I want to put that out there. And this fellowship that he speaks of refers to spiritual communion. You know, we're going to come before the table of the Lord in just a few minutes. And when we come before the table of the Lord, it's referred to as what? Communion. And we're coming to commune through the Holy Spirit and remember the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we come and we present ourselves before the Lord and we confess our sins, we have communion with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 12 through 14 says this, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Isn't that where you want to be? Don't you want to be led by the Spirit of God? Don't you want to be the one who's putting to death the deeds of the flesh, the constant harassment, and crucifying your flesh so that you have pure and undefiled and uninterrupted fellowship with the Father? The second key word in verse 6 is the word walk. And literally what it means is how one conducts their life. How one conducts their life. Right? It actually means about walking about a complete circuit. How one conducts their life. So Paul says if we're going to have fellowship, right, with the Father, it's contingent on the way we walk. Now, it doesn't mean that the deeds produce that. That's done through the new birth. But as we walk in holiness and righteousness toward God, as we hunger and thirst for God, what happens? Our fellowship with Christ, our communion with the Spirit of God, our fellowship with the Father grows exponentially as we humble ourselves. John uses this word to speak of how one conducts his life. It reflects the consistency of one's life, the pattern of one's life, the fruit of one's life. Paul uses a similar example when he speaks in Romans 8, 4. And he says, in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Psalm 82, 5 says, they did not know, nor did they understand. They walk about in darkness. Now listen, if it weren't for Christ, we would be walking around in darkness. That's part of the beauty of Christ. And Isaiah 40, I believe it is, says, those who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
And that's the experience of everybody who's come to faith in Jesus Christ. We were walking in darkness and we saw a great light. I love the song, And Can It Be, the great hymn, And Can It Be by John Wesley. And one of the stands and says, Lo, my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused the quickening ray. I rose the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. There's the new birth. There's the light of God that comes into the darkness of the sinner and sets him free, takes the chains off, takes the shackles off, and you become free in Christ. Nothing reflects our commitment to Christ more visibly and more intuitively than the manner we live our life, the manner we walk. John's statement here says that if there is inconsistency between what we say or profess and how we live and walk, then this statement is a lie. The truth is not in us. Now listen, friend. I mentioned before, we're not speaking about sinless perfection here, but rather walking the path of God's righteousness. And perhaps upon hearing this, you realize your walk is not consistent with Christ. Maybe you even know that you're not walking right. You have no joy of your salvation. You not desire, you don't desire Christ, except unless an emergency occurs. What dominates your life more is sin and the deeds of unrighteousness, then I would encourage you to heed the word of God today and i would call you right now to cry out to god for mercy while there's still time repent turn from your sin trusting yourself and turn to christ put your faith and trust in his finished work upon the cross know that christ died for your sins that he was buried in the tomb for three days that he arose on the third day and by doing so he defeated sin and death and that he he and he alone can offer salvation to those who come to him in repentance and faith right now turn to christ as paul said to the philippian jailer believe on the lord jesus christ and thou shalt be saved acts 16:31 Look at verse 7. John continues. And oh, we see the beauty of Christ here. If we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sins. This is probably one of the singular most quoted verses that I speak in spiritual warfare time and time again. In verse 6, John pointed out that if our life is inconsistent, we deceive ourselves. And my prayer here is that nobody would say that that's true of them. But here in verse 7, we see this glorious truth. And the beauty of Christ in forgiveness. There are two components to this verse. The first is how our walk reflects our life. And the second is how our walk is evidenced by right standing with God and with forgiveness of sin. How our walk reflects our life. Once again, John used this, the term walk. 
as reflective of our life. His premise is if, conditional, if we walk in the light, we have continuous fellowship amongst the church and God and a continual cleansing of sin. Oh my goodness. If we walk in the light as He is in the light. If we walk in righteousness as Christ is in righteousness. As we walk in truth as God is in truth. As we walk in the light, that divine illumination as He Himself is in the light. Well, we have this continuous fellowship in the church, in the body of Christ. But we have this continuous fellowship with the Godhead. Made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the beauty of Christ. Let me tell you something. True believers, true believers do walk in the light. And I think over the past 50 years, there's been a lot of conversation whether someone could walk away completely from the faith once and for all and yet remain saved. I believe that if salvation was just to punch a ticket to get out of hell, that might be a possibility. But that's not salvation. True salvation is a spiritual rebirth. We are born again spiritually. And that is not merely a positional or a doctrinal truth. That is truth in actuality. We are changed. We are born again. The new birth is a supernatural spiritual act of God wrought about by the Holy Spirit that results in a new sanctified life. Listen to the Scriptures. Just listen to the Scriptures regarding this. John 3.3, you probably know this. Jesus answered him and said, Unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you probably know this one. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. All the old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. What do you mean all the old things have passed away? All the bad habits, all the sin, all the things that were done. If any man is in Christ, all the beauty of Christ, that we could be in Christ, that we could be covered in Him, that He becomes our tabernacle, He becomes our sanctuary, He becomes our dwelling place. If any man, if any woman is in Christ, All the old things have passed away. You know how many times I praise God that all the old things in my life have passed away, that I'm no longer subject to them. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made Him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. That what? That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What What are you saying? I become the righteousness of God? Yes, I become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And by the way, when you read the epistles of Paul, every time you see in Christ, say an amen. Because every time you see that, you go, in Christ, I'm in Christ, amen. Titus 3, 4, and 7. 3, 4, verse, uh, Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, 
He saved us, not on the basis of deeds we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It goes on. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation to be ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you know if you are in Christ, you are protected by the power of God? Do you know if you are in Christ, your inheritance is undefiled, reserved for you in heaven, cannot fade away, no moth can come and corrupt it, no thief can come and steal, there is no rust, there is no pollution, there is no corruption to this inheritance that is for God's children. 1 Peter 1, verses 22-23. to 23. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren fervently love one another from the heart for you have been born again not of seed which is perishable but imperishable that is through the living and the abiding word of god the word of god clearly states repeatedly that those who come to christ are reborn spiritually And that this rebirth is evident in a change of character whose lives reflect the character of God. Let me share something. In some, I know people who have gotten saved that were some of the most vilest people you ever meet, and their change was like that. Then there are the other knuckleheads like myself who came to faith in Christ, but slowly, but steadily, the progressive sanctification the progressive being set apart to god continually and ever presently went forward of believers first peter 2 5 calls believers a people for god's own possession who call out the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light simply put The new birth is evidenced. It's evidence in the lives of believers. I always say so many times, do you hunger for God? Do you thirst for Him? Do you desire Him? Is He your greatest yearning, your greatest desire? Verse 7, it is here that the beauty, the majesty of Christ in our forgiveness god does the inner work to align us and to put us before a sinful world that our lives reflect the beauty of his regeneration in us oh christian we don't have to be silent god has put us here he has saved us so that his regenerative work 
is seen. We're people for God's own possession. We're people after God's own heart. We call out the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And in so doing, that men and women, they're drawn to Christ. Every time somebody says to you, how come you don't do this anymore? How come you don't run with us anymore? How come you don't go to the bar with us anymore? How come you're not doing this? How come you're not doing that? And you are able to proclaim the gospel of Christ that saved you. God is glorified. And here we see the beauty of Christ. Many claim the title Christian. But the Scripture testifies that it is only those who have been born again in Christ, who have been regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit, whose lives demonstrate the new birth by hungering and thirsting after God and the kingdom of heaven. Christians cling not to the things of the world, but they seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. Matthew 6.33 The believer is the one who can rest in the finished work of Christ and know that whatever the circumstances, listen, whatever the circumstances, that God works all things for good for those who love the Lord and who are called according to His purpose. Do we honestly believe that? I was having a conversation last week with someone and I said that. I said, I often wonder as believers, do we really believe what we say it is that we believe? we really believe that when things are going bad, when things are adverse in our life, that God is at work working out all things for good? Not what we think is good, but for God's good and eternal purpose. And to add to this glorious truth, to see the beauty of Christ unfold even more, The Apostle John tells us in verse 7, if we are in Christ, if we are walking in the light, how great is this? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, now listen to me, from all sin. All sin. And I want to call your attention to that term there, but if. Because this particular, this particular participle in the Greek signifies the possibility that a condition is present. So what it is really saying, the way to think of it is, if you do this, then this will happen. That's the context. But if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, then the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's probably the second most popular verse. Now, I'm sure you've had this situation happen to you, as happens to me, more times than I care to remember. How many times are you plagued by some past sin you've committed? Maybe it happened before you were a Christian. Maybe it happened after you were a Christian. And the enemy plays the sin over and over and over and over in your mind. And the enemy comes with his condemnation. And the enemy says, God could never forgive you for such a sin. And it plays over 
and over in your mind. And you go, this is such a heinous sin. This is such a terrible sin. I knew what right was, but I chose to do wrong. And Satan comes with his demonic, his demonic condemnation, his demonic guilt. He comes over and it plays in your mind like a movie over and over and over again. And what happens to you? Eventually you begin to sink and your countenance goes down and you begin to believe the lie of the enemy that there is no forgiveness. When in doing so, what you're actually doing is countering the word of God, which is true. In that moment, in that moment, don't listen to what people say, just rebuke them and bind them. In that moment, rely on the Word of God. Rely on 1 John 1, 7. For 1 John 1, 7 will tell you if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. All sin. Not the pretty sins. Not the simple sins. Not the sins that nobody knows. Not just shoplifting a little toothpick. But the heinous sin. The gross sins. The sins that people knew would think worse of you. Those sins that could expose you. He has cleansed you from all sin. Only made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, the beauty of Christ. Look at the glory of Christ we see here. This is, not the, this is not the one and done Christ. Raise your hand. Come forward. This is the newborn Christ. Come and be saved. Come and get forgiveness of sin. Oh my goodness, we all got them, don't we? We have those sins that only we know, right? We know them. Terrible time. One of the things I praise the Lord that when we go to heaven, there will not be remembrance of any more sin. Lord knows I have enough of that on earth. Remember the things I used to do. By the way, Christian, that is the area the enemy will tempt you. If it hasn't happened to you today, it will happen. He will come and remind you of your past. He will tell you you used to be like this. I've shared with you, there's no shortage of people who could walk into this room today and say, that's your pastor, let me tell you about a few things me and your pastor used to do. And some of you go, ooh. But I'm not that man. And as a believer, I'm not defined by my sin. I am defined by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And as a Christian, He has saved me and He has cleansed me. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all sin, all wickedness, all nastiness. So don't, be- don't believe the lie of the devil. Don't believe the lie of the adversary when he comes to you in the middle of the night and starts reminding you of the things you used to do. If you are in Christ, the ever-cleansing blood of Jesus Christ is constantly at work. Theologians call it the efficacious blood, the ever-cleansing flood. I love that great hymn, There is a fountain filled with blood. And it says, And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. There's a second stanza and it says, The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in in his day. And there go I, as vile as he, washed all my sin away. 
Listen, Christian, what you need to know is if you are in Christ, the beauty of Christ and forgiveness is the ever-cleansing fountain of the blood of Christ. He washes away your sin. He cleanses you. It's a one and done. Past, present, future. Therein is the beauty of Christ. Aren't you glad that Christ didn't save you at this point in time? Didn't say, well then at 11.55 on Sunday you're saved and then you're on your own? But the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Oh, glorious truth. Oh, this text We see the glory of Christ in His forgiveness. You know, I'm a hymn guy. I like the old hymns. We sing it here, that great hymn. How marvelous, how wonderful and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a good, honest, reputable man like me. Right? Right? No, saved a wretch like me. I was lost. I was lost in sin. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind to God. I was blind to Christ. But now, I see. So when Satan comes upon you with such temptation as that, tell him, you know what? Get lost. Be God. I am not defined by my past. I am defined by Christ. So we've taken a brief look at the beauty of Christ and forgiveness. And let me tell you something. Volumes and volumes and volumes can be written. And much to your chagrin, I could probably stay up here all day and talk more about it, but I'm not. We see the beauty of Christ in forgiveness. And when we see the beauty of Christ in forgiveness, let me tell you what happens to us. We experience that joy inexpressible, full of glory. Again, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones stated this, there's only one thing that can give true joy. He goes on to state, that is the contemplation of Jesus Christ. He satisfies my mind. He satisfies my emotion. He satisfies my every desire. He and His great salvation include the whole personality and nothing less. And in Him, in Christ, I am complete. Oh, the beauty of Christ in our forgiveness. Oh, the beauty of Christ in our salvation and our redemption. Oh, the beauty of Christ, the Christ whom we serve. Listen, let us not look to the world for satisfaction. It's not going to offer it to you. We we, got to retrain our minds here. Let us not look to the world for justice. We're not going to look for the world for justice in an unjust world. 
And yet so much frustration is being born because the things we see, the injustices that we're seeing day after day after day, and we're looking for the world for justice, but there's only one just. God, the righteous Jesus Christ, His Son. Let us not look for grace in a graceless world. Let us not look for redemption in a crooked and perverse generation. But let us look unto Jesus, our heart's satisfaction, and let us rejoice in Him and behold the beauty of Christ in our forgiveness. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, such words are too rich and too deep. And Father, we scratched the surface. But Lord, we pray today that Father, that You would satisfy our hearts. That Father, Lord God, that we would not be looking toward anything or anyone other than Christ. And Father, it's my honest prayer as a church, Lord, really, Lord, as a church, that we as a church, Lord, that we would discover the beauty of Christ, not merely in our forgiveness, but in our salvation, Lord God, in our sanctification, Lord God, in our worship, Lord God, in the Word, Lord God, in us, Lord God, that we would be enraptured, O oh God, with Christ. And Father, if there be any here who know not the Savior, Father, who realize through the Spirit of God this morning that You're drawing them, may they turn their hearts to Christ repent of their sins, cry out and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Father, entrust themselves to the finished work of Christ. And that, Lord, in so doing, that they would declare today, I have repented and I have turned to Christ so that we as their church would be able to surround them and help them to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.